Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you give to us and multiplying all that we give to you. I'd just like to ask that we could bring up a good offering today and that you know what needs our needs are and you know that what our family needs and that you will provide where we need it most. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So as the ushers are doing what they need to do, um, Chris, thanks for your testimony. There's a, a reality when it comes to giving that until you actually put yourself in a place of faith, you, you don't see how God can provide. So often a giving testimony like that to some that have not lived on that side of the faith line, it can sometimes feel like a cash grab but I, I just want to say that and it's it, it's like prayer if you pray there's a blessing that comes from praying if you don't pray you're still saved yeah but the blessing that comes from praying you'll never experience it if you don't pray out loud in a prayer meeting that's okay frustrating to me but that's okay you're still saved but the blessing that comes from praying out loud, you'll never receive. When it comes to praying for someone who's sick, you'll never see God heal someone when they're sick until you pray for someone that is sick. So unless you pray, for, if you don't pray for people that are sick, that's okay, you're still saved. You'll just never see the blessing that comes with it. And in the same breath, you may not give, you may not believe in tithing. Mel and I tithe on our gross. Yeah, and we go over and above that. Yeah, we've just trusted God for that. But until you actually place yourself in a position to do that, if you don't, that's okay, you're still saved, but you'll never experience the blessing that comes from that. And then you've got the scripture that, say, that says, in the meter, in the manner that you give, so shall it be given unto you. Yeah, so you'll experience the extent of what you're willing to sow, yeah? So I love testimonies like that. Thank you. Because sometimes, particularly in today's day and age, they can be really few and far between. So isn't it funny that it's the one area that God really tests us and challenges us in when it comes to giving, yeah? So I'll throw that out there. Man, you just might surprise yourself at what God does and what we keep saying to our son, Samuel, that he's far better off with the 90 or less percent that he has left after he works and giving his 10 plus percent at the beginning than what he is holding on to the 100. Because I don't know how God does it. This is where it's supernatural. But he seems to take the 90 and he just, I don't know, he just makes it work. Like feeding the 5,000. How did he feed the 5? I don't know idea how he did that. Like, seriously, like today we'd be worried. Imagine all the hands on the bread and the food. Oh, yucky. They didn't have latex gloves. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into a message, hey? That would be a good place to start, I reckon. Thank you, Chris. I really, I really do appreciate that. Um, I, I want to keep talking about new beginnings. Uh, I've been looking at the book of Mark since the beginning of the year. And today, I, I want to continue 
But where I want to go is the fact that new beginnings require people to begin helping. Yeah, very much so. They require each and every one of us to be a part, active part of the family. Yeah, and to get alongside others for their new beginnings to really take root and take hold and to grow. So that's where I want to go. So I'm going to jump into Mark chapter 2. Um, I, we don't push this here very often, but I will encourage each and every one of you, have a Bible, get a Bible. If you've got one at home, that's awesome. Bring one to church, make sure it's on your phone, get it on your tablet. We throw it up on the screen, I know that, but sometimes I skip verses. You just want to know that what people are sharing is from the Word of God. Yeah, so can I encourage you? Carry your Bibles with you. It's actually a good thing because when you're actually reading and hearing at the same time, it just solidifies what's going into your spirit, all right? So, Lord, we just pray today that you would have your way. God, we thank you that, Lord, we have got time to sit together. We have got safety. to We're, we're safe, we, Lord. We're, there's safety in us sitting together. We thank you, Lord, that even across our city there are churches meeting everywhere where people are proclaiming your name, where people are glorifying the Son of God, Father, where miracles are happening, where people are being set free, where chains are being broken, Father, where marriages are being restored. I thank you that even as I speak, God, I know that you're doing a work. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, to have your way in this place today. And everybody said, Amen. So Mark chapter 2, from verse 1, I'm going to read through to verse 12. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof because, uh, above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, man, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? <laughs> I just want to pause for a second. <laughs> he knew what they were thinking <laughs> in their hearts. Just think about that for a minute. That means he knows right now what you and I are thinking in your hearts. So for those of you that are thinking about lunch and how long I'm going to preach today, right? He knows what you're thinking in your hearts. That's what I'll give you a moment to repent. No, I'm joking. All right, verse 9. Which is easier, he goes on, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, can I just grab my bottle of water. For those of you that are here, to, that are old enough here, that are here to remember, the Beatles had a song. That, you know, it was called Help. Yeah, you remember that song? Help, you know, I need somebody help. Just not anybody help. And it goes on. I know I need someone help. Yeah, I, I reckon that song captures the paralyzed man's life. Help, I need someone. Help, anyone, anyone. I, I need some help. 
The reality is, if you and I were to be totally open, honest, and transparent, as we always encourage here, I think we all get to a place sometimes where we need help, yeah? In fact, I reckon that even this week, some of us have actually had that same feeling that like we needed help. Because like the paralyzed man, sometimes we can feel paralyzed in life because of the circumstances that we're going through, yeah? We can feel like we're trapped, like there's no, nowhere for us to go. We can be paralyzed because of fear. We can be paralyzed because, because of the unknown, yeah? And today, in fact, I'd suggest the whole world. <laughs> I reckon the whole world at the moment, with everything that's happening, we're, we're, I'm going to say we're at the end of COVID, sort of. We've got the war, Russia and Ukraine. We've got petrol prices going through the roof. I reckon the whole world at the moment, there's, there's tsunamis and there's, there's volcanoes that are erupting. You know, there's death at every doorstep. Every, I'm, the whole world is crying out help at the moment. Totally the whole world. Especially with everything that's going on. The passage of scripture that I just read, I want to go back to verse 1 because this is all happening around Capernaum. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, it says in verse 1, the people um, heard that he had come home. Jesus actually came back home. So here's the thing. When Jesus returned, the people of Capernaum, they... They should have been full of faith, but they weren't as faithful as they should have been. Do you remember the story of the man with five talents, the man with two talents, the man with one talent in the Bible? Most of us would know that story. The people of Capernaum, if they were in that story, they would be like the man with a hundred talents. Yeah? Because they were such a blessed community. Jesus had been and was in Capernaum more than any other place. Like they were Jesus' hogs. If you actually get into the scriptures and have a look, he did more miracles there than any other location. They were a super blessed people, yeah? And I'm building a foundation. Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I love that because that for me is a picture and gives us a sense of revival, yeah? A sense where revivals in the air and people all come together and they're worshipping God, they're hearing the word of God, they're being encouraged in their faith. And I love it that they had Jesus himself preaching to them. In fact, because it was Jesus preaching, it says more and more people came that there was no room for them whatsoever. And that for me is a picture of revival. And, and look, I don't know about any of you, but we should continue to, to declare and to speak out and claim revival for our own lives. And not just for our home church and for those that are listening at home, but for our communities. Now, we want, we want to see this right through Ballarat, right through Victoria and Australia. And verse re 3 reads, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And now, I'm starting to get to the picture that I really want us to grab a hold of today, really. But before we go on, I want you to imagine the struggle that the paralyzed man was in, the struggle that he would have had. Because can, can there be anything worse than living and doing your whole life, your entire life, yeah, and not being able to move at all? You know, some of you have been a part of our family here long enough that you remember our friend, um, Alan Berryman, who, who, who has MS, and over a period of time, we saw his movement deteriorate to where he could walk, he couldn't walk, 
could use his hand, couldn't use his hand. And, it, and if Alan's watching, he would tell you that it just it frustrated him. You know, it's hard going from somebody who has total movement and is independent that all of a sudden you become totally dependent on somebody else, yeah? It was hard for him. You know, I found it frustrating enough, yeah, just over the last few years being told that I have to isolate and stay at home. What? Stay at home? You can't tell me what to do, you know? I've got freedom. I can go wherever I like, you know? Like, that for me was frustrating and that is nothing in comparison to what Alan went through or what this paralyzed man went through. I was just being told to stay within four walls of my house, yeah? These people can't move. They weren't, they're not able to move. And uh, when you think about that, yeah, because the, the snapshot of what's going on here is this man can't move. And so what happens is his friends decide that they want to bring him to Jesus. They, they want to bring him along. Because verse 3 says, Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Carried by the four of them. You know, this, this passage is about these four people that are full of faith, that want to help their friend. They couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. You know, imagine going to church and not being able to get in. You know, I mean, I get frustrated in a McDonald's drive through when there's more than two cars. The other day, the boys wanted to go. I picked up Samuel from work. As I got to Macca's, there was about seven cars in the drive through Go, sorry, Sam, we're not stopping. Let's keep going, right? That's where you're going home. I'm not waiting for that. Imagine coming to church, you know, any church, and the car park is so full, not because it's a mega church or anything like that, because people just want to be there. They want to worship Jesus, but you can't even get in. And so these four men, all they want to do is bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they can't even get in because of the crowd. And so they make an opening in the roof. Fortunately, it wasn't color bond, and it's not terracotta or concrete tiles, yeah? But think about it for a minute. Whatever the roof was made out of, they had to dig through it. Like they flat out had to dig through it. And then they had to lower the man on a mat, the mat that he was lying on. That would have taken some time. That flat out would have taken some time. Verse 4 says, Since they couldn't get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the, the mat the man was lying on. Think about it for a minute. These guys are carrying this mat. It's a homemade stretcher. It would have been floppy. Like, seriously, and he's paralyzed, so he's a dead weight. There's no, you know, it's not like he's dead and stiff and it's really easy for four people to carry him. He's like, he's all over the place, yeah? Like, he's a dead, he would have been so hard, so unstable. And then they've got to take him up onto the roof. I could imagine, I can imagine, they would have been huffing and puffing by the time they got on top of the roof. I reckon they would have been flat out staffed by the time they just got to the crowd. Samuel and I, Samuel wanted to have a kick yesterday of football. I didn't want to have a kick of football. I wanted to take my wife out to a cafe and sit and have a coffee. That is me exerting energy, yeah? But instead I went and had a kick with him. Needless to say that by the end of the kick, by the time we got home, I may not have been physically huffing and puffing, but I was out of it. I fell asleep on the couch. On and off, my head kept dropping. I was supposed to cook a barbecue, and I said to Mel, I can't, I, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. She goes, why not? I, I can't do it. I'm so tired. 
from kicking the ball with my son. There was even one time that I tried to run from, for the ball while he was going for the ball, and I started laughing in the hope that he would stop and turn around and I could get past him. And all I heard was him saying, did someone let, let the joker out of Arkham Asylum? That, like, if you know it, because I was going, <laughs> hoping he would stop because I just couldn't do it. I was huffing and puffing, and here's these four men. They're carrying this guy on a mat that's like jelly, a dead weight, and they've got to climb up onto a roof. They would have been absolutely stuffed. And what do they do? They persevere anyway. Even though the crowd blocks them, they persevere anyway, and they climb up. And up and up on the roof they go, and all to get, all to get their mate, their friend, this person to Jesus, yeah? And the roof couldn't have been easy. It would have been slippery. It would have been slow, slow going. They could, they, they could have dropped the guy off the mat. Could you imagine? So I don't think they had a pulley system with four ropes. Could you imagine if they were carrying the man up the roof and all of a sudden one goes, oh, hold on, and poof, they drop him. Oh, well, I wonder if Jesus can raise the dead. You know, like, what would have happened? Like it would, have been, it would have been hard for them to get up there. It would have been risky. And yet they're still carrying their paralyzed friend. And then they finally get up there and they make an opening. A man-sized opening. So they break down the roof to get the man to Jesus. So I don't know about you, but you, you've got to be able to imagine what's happening down below. We're all in church and we're listening to Jesus. And now all this stuff just starts, who knows how long it took them to dig through that roof, a man-sized hole. All this stuff starts falling on our heads. If that was me, I would have thought it was a huntsman. Man, I would have been out of here. See you later. And this stuff keeps falling like snow, yet there's no mention that anyone bothered saying a word. When all of this was happening, you know, there's, it would have been a total disruption, but no one complains. And I guess when there's a real need in our midst, we don't notice anything else. When there's a real need being presented from the roof, anything that might disrupt or distract us, I think, falls by the wayside. And then they lower the man. They, like a lifeboat, they lower the man. And it, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. He actually, he saw their faith. He saw their faith in their action. Yeah? He saw their faith. Jesus looks up, imagine, he looks up and there's this big hole. And then he sees these four hairy men, yeah, looking down. It would have been like, peek a yeah, looking down at him, these four guys. And Jesus sees their faith. And then, I guess when the paralyzed man gets healed, those four guys become five guys, yeah? And you know something? Those four guys that day got a new helper. I guarantee you, that day, he would have joined their ranks. Absolutely. Won't find it in Scripture, but I'm telling you, when you get helped like that by someone, and then you get this miraculous healing, you're like, man, I'm going to do that for somebody else. It's such a sweet picture. <laughs> Looking up, seeing those four faces, yeah? But Jesus seeing their faith. And, and, and the faith, of the four helpers on the roof, when Jesus sees their faith, he's actually so inspired that he's inspired so much that he wants to help them. Their faith causes him to act and move, and this guy gets his healing. 
So their faith causes them to do something. Jesus sees their faith and says, man, I can't let that go unrewarded. I'm going to heal this guy. I, I love that. That is such a sweet picture. Their helping gets divine, supernatural assistance. That's so cool. So, so when, when, we're, when you and I, when we're serving God, when, when he sees our faith as we serve him, he is inspired through his Holy Spirit to come alongside us and say, man, I'm going to get my divine assistance here. What is it that you're trying to do? I'm going to help you here. Oh, you're praying for the sick. Let's see if we can heal someone here. Got to think about that for a minute. You know, notice that the faith that the men had made them into helpers. It's a simple point, really, because our message, my message today is called Beginning to Help One Another. Their faith made these guys into helpers. Their faith propelled them to want to help the paralyzed man. And even if you just look normally into life in general, every tragedy that's ever happened around the world, have a look at the tsunami and stuff that's happened of late. And people come from everywhere. There is always people that rise up to be helpers. Yeah, always. Isn't it true? And the church, the bride of Christ, we are called to be an army of helpers. An army of helpers. Verse 5 reads, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I know because I've, I've been unwell, so many of us are very aware of our bodies right now. Our aches, our pains, our ailments, what's right, what's wrong, shirts that fit, shirts that don't, more than don't, you know. Like we know that stuff. And maybe now some of us are caring for our bodies more than ever before to look after ourselves. But these men take care of their friends' health. And they make this makeshift ambulance. You know, I want to go as far as to say, as good as that is and, the, and all of that is for us to self-care and look after ourselves, the most important part of our bodies is actually our spiritual body. It's not our physical body. Though we need it, you know, we can't live without our bodies. I can't enjoy all the food that I enjoy if I don't have a mouth to eat it with. You know, so I've got to be reasonably well to continue in life, to enjoy the things that I enjoy. That's just the way that God made us. But our spiritual life is even more important. How can I say that? Really easily. Because the first thing that Jesus did is he did not heal the man. The first thing he did, he forgives him. The first thing he does is he forgives the man. Jesus heals us spiritually first. So in this season, when we're all concerned about the world, sickness, virus, our bodies, yeah, our shrinking bodies, our growing bodies, we're all concerned about the health of each other because we love each other. But more importantly, we need to make sure that we're right in our spirit. Yeah? We need to make sure that our relationship with God is right. And, and that, that's actually really simple. It's a matter of going to, the, going to God, saying, hey, how are you? I need your help. I stuffed up. I'm sorry, God's now just coming to, he's ringing us just to confirm the message. I love that. He does that all the time, really, he does. But sometimes it's just like, hey, God, you know what? It's been such a, a flat week. I've, I've been having these thoughts. I, I just need, I know you have, but I just want your forgiveness here and I want your help. Yeah? Just to be right in our spirit. Thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for making me whole. That's the most important part. So, even if we do die, and having been sick recently, I don't want to die, by the way. Like, I just, I don't, I don't want to, you know. 
part of me would think if we were all to die, that would be okay. But if it was just me alone, I don't, I don't want to die. Right? Though it would be nice getting out having to pay the mortgage. But anyway, that aside, the thing is if we do die, we're going to be home with the Father anyway. Yeah. So we're going to be with him forever and ever. So the part of us should be able to celebrate even in our sicknesses. Now this man gets his life in order. His sins are forgiven. And we know that his physical body gets healed as well. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. He got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of everyone. Do you know what he actually did? He actually obeyed Jesus. He actually started to do what Jesus asked him and told him to do. I wonder how many of us miss that after we've been forgiven. Because Jesus says to him after they question, you know, it says to him, listen, so that you can see that the Son of Man has the authority to, you know, to forgive sins. He says to the man, now get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy, the guy actually listens. Heaven forbid that the Christian world, that every believer would listen to the words that Jesus speaks into our lives straight away. Oh my goodness, that's insane. Will, it, will we ever get to that day where we just do what he asks us to do? He started to do what Jesus told him to do. And, and, and you, know, you know when you're in a right relationship with God, you know when you're in a deep, intimate relationship with the Father because we start to do the things that God wants us to do. No good calling yourself a Christian, saying that you're a believer. This is for me as well, when we ignore the things that he asks us to do. Yeah? That is like a rebellious child. That is like saying, Samuel, Nath, can you take out the trash? Now let's face it, they're going to argue, but they're going to do it. Yeah? But if it got to a point where they never, ever did it, please don't call yourself my son if you can't even listen to a single thing that I say. I know that's very extreme, yeah? But how, why would we call ourselves sons and daughters of God if we can't do the things that he's asked us to do, yeah? So this man is miraculously healed. It's a great story, really, because what's great about it is that Mark takes us into the the innermost thoughts of Jesus himself. There are three verses that are just wonderful verses from verse 6. And it's where he describes the interaction with the scribes of the day. Yeah? And nothing, nothing said at first, but you and I, we need to be able to imagine what's going on here. We need to be able to think about the different reactions that the people are having and even what the scribes are having. And what are the di different reactions that we might have to lives that are transformed around us? See, these four men help, and the fifth man, the paralyzed man, his life then gets totally transformed. And this is amazing because it takes, takes place in front of people, but, but how do they react? And how do we react to that? How, how do you and I react when just one soul around us has their life transformed? Are we celebrating? Are we happy? Are we jealous? Are we sad? Are we frustrated? Are we what about me? You know, how do we react? And, and, and I want us to think about the scribes because really at the end of the day, the best way to describe, describe scribes is this. 
They were just grumpy people. They were grumpy old men. They were the people that thought that they were spiritual, but really they were just grumpy. They had hard hearts. And here's the thing. Jesus knows, we said earlier, he knows what we think in our hearts. He knew, the scripture tells us that he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. That's, that's got to be a word of warning, really, if anything, to all of us today. That Jesus knows what we're thinking, even right now. He, he, he knows if spiritual things don't matter too much to us. He, he knows if we're full of anxiety. He knows if we're full of selfishness. He knows. He knows what we're thinking. And can I say, that's why we want to live an open, honest, yeah, vulnerable, transparent life with him. Because he already knows. So you might as well air your laundry with him because he knows it anyway. Yeah? Is that fair? Trust me, it just it lifts the burden off you when you can just share it, your life the way it is. That's why we run to him. That's why we say sorry. You know, if I was to ask a real question, my, my question would be this. With this passage of scripture about Capernaum, could this be an opportunity for us to realize, hey, maybe in parts of my life, my, my heart has become a little bit hard. Is it an opportunity maybe for God to come in and soften parts that have been hardened if we're to be open, honest and transparent? I wonder. You know, what a great opportunity for all of us to be able to respond to Jesus and say, you know what, I hadn't thought about that. Actually, I don't even... I don't even think like that. Maybe you can do a work in my heart there, you know. That would be really good, Lord. Because he'll do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> but the scribes, man, they are so grumpy. They missed their opportunity. Yeah? This man is gloriously forgiven. He's phenomenally healed. Yeah? Totally miraculous. And they're still upset and grumpy trying to find fault. But how is that? That deserves a gangster slap, doesn't it? Like, how stupid can you be and still breathe? When I think of those two men, who, who likes the Muppets? Because I think of those two guys up on the balcony. You know, they're, they're, they're quite funny. But they're always arguing with each other because everybody else is wrong. That's the scribes. They're looking at Jesus forgiving. They're looking at Jesus healing. And all they can do is pick fault. They're grumpy old men. They missed their opportunity. You know, if you think about Capernaum, think about the whole town of Capernaum because I want to suggest that Capernaum missed the greatest opportunity in history. Totally. It's a painful truth. Let me, let me paint a picture of Capernaum for you. It's a privileged place, one. Two, it's a beautiful place in Israel by the shores of Galilee. It's a phenomenal place. And it's literally nicknamed Jesus Town. <laughs> and here... You can see from the beginning of what we were reading that people said that Jesus came home. So yes, Nazareth was once his hometown, but the reality is now, later in life, Capernaum is Jesus' hometown. They had him in their town. And from chapter 1, we know that's where Peter lived. We know that's where Peter's mum served. We know that's where one of the churches of Burton still exists today. And it was there that Jesus even called his first disciples. So I'll say again, more miracles were done in Capernaum than any other place. But the people weren't converted. The people didn't say yes to faith. They didn't say yes to Jesus. Because later on, Jesus has to give what has to be 
for him one of the most painful, heartfelt rebukes to his hometown. For those, most of us have a hometown, be it Ballarat or wherever you grew up. And I'm going to generalise, but I would think that most of us have a fond memory of where we grew up. Our family home, the location where we went to school. I know that's not the case for everyone, but I'm putting it out there for the majority, yeah? So you think about that. So this is now Jesus' hometown. And catch the words from Matthew 11. Remembering that Jesus did more miracles in Capernaum than any other place. Matthew 11, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? He's speaking of his hometown. No, you will go to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And that stinks. <laughs> that stinks. Imagine living your life in Ballarat, doing everything that you can so that people can come back home to the Father only to one day have to address them like this. That's a warning for us today in the sense that having lots of God activity around us, having lots of God stuff in our lives, you know, and God's really gracious to us, that's great. But Jesus came down to Capernaum, he's come down to us through his Holy Spirit. Just having God's activity around us isn't necessarily enough to save us. Yeah? I go to Bible study, I read the word. I pray at home. Isn't there a scripture that says something, I did this in your name and I did that in your name? And Jesus says something along the lines, well, I don't know who you are. Having Jesus' activity, God activity, all over, all around our lives doesn't necessarily save us. Yeah. I mean, you think about Australia, you think about even here in Ballarat, you think about our own church, I think we're pretty blessed. You know, and now we've got Christian radio. You can access like people are at home. You can access stuff on the internet. You can watch whatever you want, listen to whatever you want, stream whatever you want. But Capernaum needs to be a warning to us. The preacher J.C. Ryle has this quote, We forget the amazing power of unbelief and the depth of man's enmity against God. We forget that the Capernaumites heard the most faultless preaching. That was Jesus. I'd suggest that Jesus' preaching is better than mine. Yeah? Is that all right? Good. I'm glad you agree. If you didn't, that would be a problem. And it goes on to say that they'd heard the most faultless preaching and saw it confirmed with the most surprising miracles, yet remained dead in their trespasses and sins. Nothing, in fact, seems to harden a man's heart so much as to hear the gospel regularly and yet deliberately prefer sin in the world. Never was there a people so highly favoured as the people of Capernaum. I wonder sometimes about Australia. I wonder sometimes about Ballarat. They call South Australia, you know, the city of churches, if you were to drive there. And if you're asking me, Ballarat's like a miniature South Australia. There are churches everywhere. When Mel and I first arrived 11, 12 years ago, we got told from the beginning there's like 68 to 72 registered churches in Ballarat. So they might not all be high steeple few people churches, but there are churches all over Ballarat, yeah? So what was the move of God and has it done something? Where has it got us? 
Because there's been some remarkable moves of God in, in different parts of our country. There's been some remarkable moves of God in this house alone. But where has that got us? It's almost, it almost has me saying, oh Capernaum, oh Ballarat, oh Family Life Church. Turn back to the Lord, turn back to God, focus on Him, you know. And the last few years have so tested our faith that I know people whose faith have been, has been totally rocked in this season. But this passage about Capernaum is a great reminder for us that we can turn to God at any time. Because it's not lots of God activity that saves us, it's God and God alone. It's God and God alone in our lives. I love the fact, because if, if you weren't here last week, if you haven't watched it yet online, you can get it from our website, you can get it from YouTube, but watch Roz's message. Because she captures this beautiful point that in the midst of trial and tribulation of reading the psalm that she was focusing on, they actually stood by their faith. The psalmist stood by their faith and they turned and focused on God. Then they went to the temple or they went to church, if you will, and in that place they pray and they praised. And it was there that they actually found their strength and their salvation. It was, and it is such a good word. And I believe that Father God is creating and giving us all an opportunity constantly, always, but through this paralyzed man who gets forgiven and then he starts moving and I'm going to suggest he starts helping. You know, he joins the four guys to become five guys and he becomes a helper. You know, I think God is giving, giving all of us the opportunity to read this story and as we read this story, an opportunity to be restored back to him if we need that, Yeah? An opportunity to start, like him, living our lives in the way that he desires us to, in the way that he's asked us to. You know, I see that all the time when I look here at Family Life Church, the way that people are loving each other. We see it, I, I see it in the ladies' group, in the, you know, in the morning when they gather together, the way that people break up into groups and you hear of different people catching up with different people. It, it, that, that, that's family. That's, that's how it works. That's how helping each other works. And none of us should be sitting in any church where we don't know someone. None of us should be sitting in any church where someone hasn't befriended us. No, none of us should be sitting in any church where someone hasn't come alongside us to try to help us. Because in fact, there was four men that carried the paralyzed man, four. So maybe we don't need just one. Maybe, you know, when you see someone, oh, I, I can see so-and-so speaking to so-and-so. They're okay. I know they're catching up with them. No, no, maybe he needs a second person. Maybe he needs a third person. Maybe he needs a fourth person because otherwise that person that's paralyzed somewhere in their spirit might get dropped. Maybe our faith should propel us to help those that are around us. Maybe then we'd never hear stories of people leaving church because though they were connected, they had no friends. You know, this has to be totally mentioned. These four guys, they're caring friends. They didn't care what others thought. They didn't care when they hit the crowd. They climbed up on a house. Could you imagine if you came to my house and you stuck a ladder against the wall and climbed onto the roof? Man, I'm telling you, West Footscray would come back really quickly vocabulary that I thought I'd buried would come back very quickly. A level of volume that my wife has forgotten about that still gives her nightmares from when we were first married would come back in all its glory if you were climbing up on my roof. If you're not up there to wash the solar panels, 
then beep, 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 down, please, you know. These guys, they didn't care what people thought. And not only did they not care, then they actually, they tear apart the roof. They break, like they pull it apart. That's insane. There's no mention here that they're going back to fix it. I hope they did. Like seriously, they didn't care what people thought. Their care had no ceiling, pardon the pun. It had no limits. No limits in their love. And now, because of what they did, we're in, we're in the year 2022. We're like 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about them. They are remembered forever because they cared so much about their friend that they wanted to get him in front of Jesus. You know, this is the time where true helpers lead the way. This is the time where the leaders of the church are those that are helping. And it doesn't have to be in the four walls, but uh, like a conversation I'm having on social media, which I often do, yeah, it starts somewhere. You know, I've got to plant my plants somewhere before they give me fruit that we can enjoy on the table or give to our friends. It starts somewhere. You know, new beginnings need you and I to start helping. New beginnings need you and I to begin helping. You know, the, the man himself was an obedient man. Jesus asked him to get up and he got up. He didn't question it. He was forgiven. He could have said, I've got my ticket to heaven now. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to lay here for the rest of my life. I wonder how many people are still laying on their stretches in churches forgiven that have never picked up their mats to walk and to help. As soon as he's forgiven, he rises up to all that Jesus has called him to do. As soon as we get forgiven, that's for t- the time for us to rise up. You know, the paralyzed man, he's the one that couldn't move. But now there's a picture of one happy man because this paralyzed man begins to move. The point in that, being paralyzed, paralysis, that's not the end of our story. When we're going through circumstances and we feel stuck, and we feel trapped. Can I ask everyone to stand, please? Because I want to finish with this. And we feel like there's nowhere left to go. There's nothing left to do. This is helpless. I feel hopeless. When we're in that place of paralysis in our bodies and in our spirit, I want to say this, and I'm speaking it to someone. Paralysis is not the end of the story. but it is an opportunity for you to rise up. It's an opportunity for me to rise up. It's an opportunity for us as a church to rise up. It's an opportunity, and I'm believing, for our community to rise up. Going through difficult circumstances doesn't have to leave us on a mat, particularly when there are people of faith around us that care enough to get us before Jesus, yeah? So when people approach you and they want to help you, they're not sticking their nose into your life. They just care about your spirit enough that they want to see you forgiven. They want to see you made whole. They want to see you be part of the family. Yeah. When my kids come to our place for Christmas and Easter lunches and dinners, they don't just come and share what we're, what we're, you know, the feast that we're putting on. They all have a part to play. They all now have to bring something. They're all now sharing. They're all now helping. Yeah. And that's how it works in a family. That's how it works here at Family Life Church. He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all, this amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. 
he was completely transformed. And I'm sure that he's totally grateful for the four guys that helped him and took him to Jesus. But I'll say this. When our faith motivates you and I to be helpers, when our faith places us in a position where we care so much that we don't care what other people think to ensure that others get in front of Jesus, when our faith puts us in a place where Jesus looks to us and sees our faith, that he's so inspired then to come in and to step in and to help divinely with whatever it is that we're doing, people will look to us and say, we have never, we have never seen anything like this before. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us all because I want us all to be part of a move of God where people look to us and say, I have never seen anything like this before. Yeah. Man, that's insane. I have never, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. So wherever you are, if you're close enough to someone, um, place your hand on their shoulder. Make sure it's okay with them. Don't freak them out. <laughs> if someone's alone, please move over to them. I've got a friend's church that has a saying that no one stands alone. It should go further than that. It should be that no one has no friends. No one has. No one that loves them should go a lot further. So, Malcolm, I can see you out there. Is there anyone in the foyer that needs someone to stand next to them? Because I can see there are people in the foyer. I'm not leaving anyone out. If anyone's hiding in the foyer, you've been found. If you're at home, um, place your hand on the person next to you. If you're at home alone, just... Just do that. <laughs> and let's just pray for each other. Let's believe and pray that God will stir up a faith in us that will propel us to help those that are around us, that we will not care what people think, but instead we would just want to see people forgiven, made whole, and the family growing from four guys to five guys, so to speak, in Jesus' name. So, Father, I do thank you, God, for this opportunity. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you just for the way that you teach us. And God, I pray that this day, Lord, we would learn from the paralyzed man, God, the way that we should act when we're forgiven, the way that we should act, God, when, Lord, when we're, we're totally made whole. I thank you for the four guys. I thank you for their example. God, may we be like them, Lord, full of faith, so full of faith that, God, you saw their faith. And, Lord, may Capernaum be an example to us to not be like that. Not just to think that the things of God around us are enough, but Lord, that we would go further and we would allow our faith to motivate, motivate us and to bless others. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of being a blessing. We thank you for the blessing for those that are around us, for those that have been brought to church or the gospel shared by somebody else. We thank you for their commitment and we thank you for their faith. And we pray, Lord God, that we can be a people that will pay it forward that those around us, those in Ballarat, those in our families will be able to say, we have never seen anything like this before. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honour. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks, church. Thanks, friends. Have a wonderful day. Have a magnificent coffee. Um, the worship team, for those that are online, thanks for being with us. Uh, but worship team, know that we've got a lunch together here in the next 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Vicky, for Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>